This is Aura with the Catholic Girl. I have arrived now at Good Friday, April 10th, 2020. We're celebrating the Lord's Passion, which is always to me like a contradiction, celebrating and then the putting to death of Jesus. It's just the two words are hard for me to always swallow, but we really are. We're celebrating what he did for us. And we have to remember that this is a positive thing, not so much a negative thing, but we do have to understand the severity of what he did. It wasn't something easily done. Um, so we begin today with the prophet of Isaiah um, in Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 53. And it even um, touches in on Isaiah 12. Now, again, this is readings that we've had. We've seen them. Um, the last couple of Sundays, there's been about quite a few poems written from Isaiah, and they're all about the servant. And all I think that the Old Testament's trying to help us understand is why what is happening in the New Testament. Why is the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, um, so upset with Jesus? Why, why are they so uh, against? Why are the the authorities of the Jewish community so against Christ. And so we're look back at the Old Testament. When we're looking at the Old Testament, we see the prophet Isaiah, who really does testify to who the servant's going to be. He gives you everything but the name. And what he does is he gives you this really great insight to what this person's going to be. And it, it gives you this idea of a very humble person. We believe him, he says here, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like a sapling before him, like a shoot from the parched earth. There was in him no stately bearing to make us look at him, nor appearance that would attract us to him. This is really saying a lot. And the, and the Jewish people should have, have picked up on that. Jesus did not come in on a white horse. He didn't come in wearing a crown. He didn't have fancy robes. He was very simple. He was a carpenter's son. He was this meek human being who were, lived a humble life. Uh, so they, they were, in the New Testament, these... Jewish people were looking for a conqueror, conqueror. They were looking for a king and they were looking for somebody who had, you know, like some statue that, you know, would make the Romans fear um, him. They, they are, but they, if they looked into their own scripture, um, they would have seen that, hey, the, the servant that God will send will not be of a kingly won't look it. He won't play that part. He won't, he will not have that wardrobe and that, that, uh, he will be someone who is going to, uh, well, I lost my thought, but he's going to be someone who people are not going to anticipate. And then, uh, Isaiah goes on and it, and he really says here, as you go, he says, though he was harshly treated, he submitted and opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter or a sheep before the shearers. He was silent and opened not his mouth. 
And we see in today's trial, as we did last Sunday in the Palm Sunday readings, that, you know, he doesn't really defend himself in the, you know, like he, he doesn't really speak out heavily for himself. He does keep his mouth shut. He keeps to God's plan. He is silent. Um, No one really knew when Isaiah was writing who the servant was going to be. And it wasn't until Jesus came and you start to see how he so, so quickly fills that role. Everything Isaiah um, talked about, everything Isaiah prophesied about, Jesus really does fulfill. You know, Isaiah says, because of his afflictions, he shall see the light in the fullness of days. Though his suffering, my servant shall justify many and their guilt he shall bear. And that's what he does in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, he, he's there. He, he suffers um, only because of our sin, right? So he is that perfect servant that we want to use as a model. Jesus took on him, himself the, the guilt of all of our sins. And he takes it away. He takes our sins away because he, he wins the pardon for our offenses, right? He, he, he pays the penance for our offenses. Uh, so that's what's super important. When we look at the second reading, we're going to kind of look, still keep looking back at that Old Testament. And when I, what I want to share with you is the importance of understanding the Jerusalem and the royal capital, capital at that time. So with the establishment of the Temple of Jerusalem, probably around 960 BC, you know, so about a thousand years before Christ, Israel offered its daily sacrifices to the Almighty God in a majestic setting. Now they did that because remember in Exodus, God said, hey, you guys are going to, you're going to do this. And we see throughout the whole Old Testament how God and, um, humans interact together so the way god doesn't really want like animal sacrifices but that's how humans thought humans use sacrifice as a as a way of showing faith so worship required a sacrifice sacrifice is worship an act of praise and an atonement a self-giving a covenant and a thanksgiving. So that's how people in the Old Testament viewed sacrifice. It was necessary. And we see the sacrifice of the mass as necessary, right? So let's go back to a thousand years before Christ. We have Israel offers its daily sacrifice to the Almighty God in a majestic way. Each day, the priests would sacrifice two lambs, one in the morning and one in the evening, to atone for the sins of the nation. Those were essential sacrifices, but but throughout the day, the smoke rose from many other private offerings. And they would offer things like, you know, goats, turtle doves, pigeons, rams, and they, they would offer them on the huge bronze altars that stood in the open air at the entrance to the inner court of the temple. Now, we're going to start to see a picture of how their temple was set up. The holy place of the temple was just beyond the altar. And the holy of holies is the dwelling place of God. 
was forever or was far before the Holy of Holies. So let me back up. So there's a holy place in the temple and it was just beyond the altar and the Holy of Holies in the temple is the dwelling place of God. It was further still from the altar, but it was a place set aside for the dwelling of God. Now the altar of incense stood immediately before the inner court of the temple. Only the high priest was permitted in the holy of holies, and even he could or, and even he could enter only briefly, and only once a year on a day of atonement, which is called Yom Kippur. I think I'm saying that right. For even the high priest was a sinner and thus unworthy to abide in God's presence. Now that's a super important part there that helps us understand our mass. And it also helps us understand the, the readings of, of today, Good Friday. And it also helps us understand the Jewish mind. And what the Jews know. So the Jerusalem temple brought together all the strains of, of sacrifice that had gone before. Built on a site where Melchizedek, which was the first to offer bread and wine. And where um, Adam or Abraham had offered his son. And where God had sworn his oath to save all the nations. The temple served as the enduring place of offerings principles of which was identical with the most ancient sacrifice of Abel the lamb. Now that's what's super important here is that these sacrifices were being made to honor God because he had delivered them. All right so let's go back to the the second reading reading today which is from Hebrews 4 which is 14 through 16 and it's a letter to the Hebrews a very Jewish crowd. And it says, brothers and sisters, since we have a great, great high priest. Now, who's that great high priest? We see that as Jesus, who is the son of God. So Jewish tradition here is high priest is the mediator between God and the people. He was the person who could go in and talk to God. He could go into the most holy of holies, right? So that's what they're recognizing is that Jesus is the great high priest who can pass through, pass through the heavens. So when they, when you would go beyond the altar to the Holy of Holies, there was a, a veil, a curtain that was put around this dwelling place. Nobody could really stand in the presence of, of God because it was just so pure and so great. And we kind of see this at the transfiguration when Jesus is up on the mountain and Peter and John are there. And, and he, they, the, when, when Jesus transforms, he's so radiant, so great that John and Peter, they had to like bow down. They, they had to avert their eyes. It was just too much. It was too intense for them. So in the temples, as we're reading today, you have to imagine that this place was a holy of holies because it was a dwelling place of God and that no one really could enter into this place because it was so bright. It was so pure to be in the presence of God. 
But we finally have a great high priest that can pass through the veil between heaven and earth. All right. And we name that person. And that person is Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Now, RCI people, this, this is the confession you are going to make. This is that baptismal commitment that you're going to make. That is um, for my confirmational kids. This is something that we have to remember that we, to be a faithful servant, we must always remember our baptismal commitment to God. We are one with him. We are his children and thus we must act accordingly. So when we're looking at the end of the Hebrew reading, in the days when Christ was in flesh, he offered prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So what is the secret to a strong faith? That is that we need to live similarly to Jesus. We need to live a lowly, meek life of obedience and reliance on God. That is what we, we need to do. That is our actions that we must take in order to be in the presence of Christ or in the presence of God, right? Because that's the path that the high priest priest has to take in order to be in the holies of holies. In order for us to be in the presence of God, we must remember our baptismal um, commitment to be a son, to be a daughter of God, and that we must live a life that is lowly and meek and obedient and reliant upon God. So then that moves us to the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to hear it according to John. And, you know, I, I tell you guys this all the time. I think John is just amazing. Um, I think I'll do a podcast on him just by himself. He is just a unique individual who really, who really teaches about love. Like the end of the day, you can sum up all of John's teachings. It will always come back to love. Love, 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 love of Christ, love of church, love of, of disciple, love of mother, love of family, you know, love of faith. He's just an amazing individual. And I, I love reading his readings because there's always the surface and then you can dive deeper into John's readings, like go below the water surface. And there's just like a whole nother world. I mean, he's, he's amazing. You can just, I always refer to his readings like an onion. You can peel them back, peel them back. There's, there's so many unique things that he has wove into his writings. It's, it's very clever. So today's gospel is very similar to what we read on Sunday, um, Palm Sunday. And it, you see the, the difference only that uh, John, you know, he writes very differently then, uh, let's see, who wrote Sundays? Sundays was written by Matthew. So uh, you can see that you can, it's almost fun to like look at the synoptic gospels and, and compare them to John. I mean, they're very differently. They're written very differently. Uh, and and we, we hear lots more detail in John's. And I like that detail. I really, really like that detail because it's like it gives you more. Um, like, for instance, 
um, in all the synoptics, they don't really talk about who was with Jesus and who pulled the sword and who got their ear cut off. But in John's, it's very Pacific. It was it was Simon Peter who drew his sword. It was Simon P- Peter who cut off the in very particular right ear of of uh, of a slave now named Malchisiah. And, and it is Jesus who says to Peter, hey, put your sword away into its cyber. I mean, it's like very Pacific. You shall not drink that cup or uh, shall I not drink the cup that the father gave me? What I like about that little section right there that John writes is that he says, hey, Jesus is even teaching right up to right before he gets arrested. He's, Jesus teaches violence with violence is not going not gonna to move us anywhere. So when someone wrongs you, you should not go out and wrong them. Jesus is about to be really wronged. And you don't see him firing up angels and, you know, riding in with torches. Um, They came, they, the Pharisees came after Jesus with light lanterns and torches and weapons. These are things of the dark. Jesus handles things in the light. He, he, he has, he moves Peter beyond the dark moves, you know, having a sword, participating in a dark thing of hurting another. Jesus teaches, hey, suffering is going to happen and we shouldn't resist it uh, And because it's part of God's plan, right? He shares with us that the suffering is a sign um, that we will have to make, you know, in order to move, in, to move to that holy of holies. It's going to come with some suffering. And I, I like that. But I think it's significant that Jesus is teaching right, right, right along as he begins his passion. And he's saying, hey, following me is not going to be easy, Peter. You know, you're, you can't fight. You're going to have to accept the fate. This is where we're going. This is how it's going to be. We're not going to go in fighting. I also want to go back just a little bit into John's reading here because John brings in some great Old Testament proof of fulfilling fulfillment. Um, he says here, uh, it says, Jesus, knowing everything that was going to happen to him, went out and said to them, whom are you looking for? And they answered, Jesus, the Nazarene. He says to them, I am. I, for years that bothered me, I'm like, I am what, (laughs) you know, come on, finish the sentence. But I am means that it's a title God used in the Old Testament. It's used a lot in the Old Testament, actually. Um, There's, I think there's seven references uh, to the word I am in the Old Testament. But this Old Testament referring here is the promise of God fulfilling uh, that, It's a reference that the promise of God is fulfilled in the Messiah, Jesus. And it it is referencing that Jesus himself is a God, is a God. And he makes himself that. So he does claim, I am God. I am a deity. I am righteous, right? So there's a lot right there that is being said. and, And we should understand what they're saying. So Jesus will be portrayed as a king, a priest, 
the lamb of sacrifice and the righteous sufferer, opening up the account to a wide variety of interpretations in the insight as we move forward here. Because that's how John rolls, <laughs> right? So as we move, I just want to keep going back to that second reading and understanding how the temple works, right? And understanding how that Old Testament's working here. Because we remember from Exodus that we have to have that perfect sacrifice. We have to have an unblemished um, uh, lamb. The Passover that God instructed each Israelite family to take an unblemished lamb without broken bones, kill it and sprinkle its blood on the doorpost. That, that the night that the, the, that Jesus, or that Jesus, that God was going to free the Egyptians with, you know, uh, kill their firstborn, right? So um, the Israelites were to eat the lamb, and if they did, their firstborn would be spared. If they didn't, their firstborn would die in the night, along with the firstborn in their flocks. The sacrificial lamb died as a ransom in place of the firstborn of the household. The Passover then was an act of redemption, a buying back, right? So that's what Jesus has done for us. And he is the Passover lamb. And what we see is that he is unblemished. And he, right at the end of the whole passage, you see that he, uh, his bones are not broken. This is another point that we are, we're arriving at where it fulfills the Old Testament. We also have that sprig of a, a hypus tree. And this is what they use to use the, paint the, lamb, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, right? And it's so prominent that John writes about it here in the gospel reading today because he says that the sponge, um, so they put a sponge soaked in wine on a sprig of a hypus tree, right? This is that Passover, Exodus 12. 22, you know, paint, you know, use the hippos to, to paint that blood on the doorstep. Uh, I think that's very significant of being a part of that sacrifice happening within uh, the Hebrew letter and understanding how the Israelites perceive the temple and, and how the holies of holies works. Now, aside from all of that, we also have to go back and look at Peter's trial. So really, Peter's on trial here at the same time Jesus is. So I love uh, the movie Passion of Christ because they do a really good job of holding both trials at the same time in a, in a great view. So check out the movie Passion of Christ. Um, I think Mel Gibson is the director. Really great. It's, it's, it's very moving. Um, so there's two trials taking place right here. So we have the trial of Peter. Um, and then we have the trial of Jesus and they're, they're in stark contrast to one another. So Jesus was saying, he's being asked, um, who, who do you say the high priest questions Jesus about his disciples and about his doctrine? Jesus answers him. I have spoken publicly to the world, meaning I have never hid in, in quiet, uh, dark alleys. I don't, I don't talk in back rooms. I'm publicly 
have spoke on your doorstep. I have publicly spoke to the people. I, I, there is no hiding what I have been saying. I have always taught in the synagogues or in the temple area where all the Jews gather. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Now, Jesus has been hauled in from the garden and he's followed by two of his disciples. Now, it doesn't say John's name, but I'm going to assume John is there because we have lots of accounts that John never left Jesus' side. John was about 15 years old when he began, you know, following Christ. So if this is three years later, he's only 18 years old or maybe even 17 years old. He's a young kid, very young. You know, he's depicted with having no beard. So uh, that would definitely say, you know, he hasn't come into his manliness yet. And so he has no way of standing up in the Jewish authority court, in the court of, of the Jews and testifying for Christ. He can't. He did, he's, he's not of age, right? But somebody is. John's brother's best friend and John's friend and Jesus' disciple, Peter, right there. He was willing to cut the, go straight to violence and cut the slave's ear off. But now Jesus is calling on him and and Peter's there. But Peter does not step forward. He does not answer God's call. He's ashamed. He's afraid, right? He's ashamed of his behavior, but because he's afraid to, you know, mix himself up in this because he doesn't want to die, right? He doesn't want to suffer. That suffering is the hardest part. Like, I know there's lots of times I fall on my knees at prayer time and I say, Oh God, just, I will do your will. But it's so hard, right? Because there's a process there. There will be a suffering there. I love telling you guys the story of the Pope who needed a heart. Now it's a make-believe story. But he needed a heart and all the people stood below the Pope out in thousands of crowd, you know, choose me, choose me. I will give you my heart. No problem. Oh, choose me. I will, I will do anything for you. Right. And the Pope said, well, uh, I'll just throw a feather down and whoever catches the feather will be the person who gives me a new heart. And the feather came down and everybody was all, oh, choose me. And they waved their hands. And at the same time, they blew, (laughs) you know, because they wanted that to pass. They didn't want to suffer. Right. That would mean, you know, giving up your heart meant you're dead. (laughs) And and I, I think that's so, so important that we understand Christ's passion is that this feather could have could have he could have blew it away he could have fanned it away and made it go to somewhere to someone else but instead he reached up and he grasped the feather right and we have to be like that we have to reach up and grasp the suffering in doing God's will loving other people is not easy it's hard and so in order to do that we're going to have to suffer and that's the part that proves our love 
right? That's the part that allows us to be in the holy of holies, in the presence of God, that suffering, right? Of denying ourselves, right? So so Peter's put on trial here right beside Jesus. And Peter, he could have came forward. He could have said, hey, yeah, Jesus Jesus uh, has testified in front of you. Jesus is, has said these things, right? He could, have, he could have backed Jesus up. He could have said, hey, I've even seen, um, you know, the God himself. And, and I, I've seen Moses and Isaiah both there. And they both said, hey, he is the man. Peter had all of the tools to convince the high priest that Jesus was who he says he is. But he was too busy denying Jesus because of his fear. And so Jesus' trial is then sent on because they, they're like, well, let's, let's make the Romans kill him, right? Um, we're going to make them have the blood on their hands. And Peter denies Christ three times. And so his trial ends that, you know, Peter's guilty of sin. He, he, he claimed to, you know, be the one who would always be beside Christ and he failed not once, not twice, but three times, even at the, at the fact that Jesus was calling out to Peter, Hey, this is your chance to come and testify for me. You said you would. And Peter is so afraid of that suffering that he, he denies publicly Jesus. All right. So Jesus is on trial in Rome for claiming a kingship, a threat to the Caesar, right? And Pilate um, knows that Jesus is not claiming this, but needs to calm the crowds. Because the crowds are so large, he cannot have that peace broken. That would be bad for him. Now, Pilate's like in charge of like a, he's like the mayor. I don't know if that's a good example, but he's like the mayor or the governor of, a, of, of an area. And so they brought Jesus to him. In fact, you will read that there was other governors that, you know, <laughs> took their, they're like, hey, good luck with that, Pilate. <laughs> right. They were able to pass it all off onto Pilate. Um, and you judge him. I don't want to judge him. So it comes down to Pilate. And so Pilate like goes through there and says, hey, you say you're a king. And Jesus answers, you say I'm a king. And for this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. And as Pilate begins to really listen to him and go through it and, and, and talk to him, he finds that, G- that Jesus is not guilty of, one, of trying to replace Caesar, that he's not trying to conquer the Romans. He's not trying to have a war with them. Now, this was something that the Jewish people really, really wanted. They wanted Jesus to come in there and tell Caesar off and, you know, defeat the Romans and so that the Israelites could be, or the, the, the Jewish people could be, you know, no longer oppressed, right? But really, Jesus did not come to do that. He came to conquer sin, not the Romans. And you see it over and over. Pilate says, I have no guilt. I see no guilt in him. Um, hey, he's your king. Uh, I, and he almost, he witnesses by calling Jesus king several times. He starts to believe, Pilate himself believes Jesus to be a king, right? A king beyond these walls, beyond this world. And uh, he says, you know, we uh, we have a law and according to that law, he ought to die. Be, or not, 
yeah, I'm sorry. The Jews say he, uh, wait, where am I at? Ah, I just seem to be all over the place today. It's because it's such a big reading. <laughs> uh, but Jesus, uh, Pilate says to them, take him yourself and crucify him. I find no guilt with him. And the Jews answered, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And because nobody testified on Jesus's behalf, uh, that's what they're going to put him to bits. You know, they're going to hang their hat on that. But if they understood their own Torah, if they really read all that's in the Old Testament, then they would have recognized him. But they refused to recognize him because he didn't come to conquer the way they wanted him to conquer. I think that's kind of all the big parts that I really want to. I mean, you can peel this back for hours. You know, there's I thirst um, when Jesus says I thirst. That's from Psalm 69, 4. I am weary with crying out. My throat is parched. This is more Old Testament uh, fulfillment. We have. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But the one soldier thrust his lance into the side and immediately blood and water flowed out. Well, the water, we, this is very big, especially when we talk about divine mercy. We have water is a life-giving, blood is the deliverance from evil. This is a new birth of life. This is, this is very critical when we talk about, you know, uh, communion and the, and the way we put the water into the blood of Christ. So it is super important that commingling of life-giving and a deliverance from evil. And that's what Jesus did. I also like to point out that, you know, it was Joseph of Arimath that comes and takes Jesus's body. It was not a disciple. He was a secret disciple, but it was not a disciple of the, like the 12. Um, they were not there. They weren't there. And it is he who, um, Joseph of Aramith that that has a burial that is for king it was totally you know it had the myrrh it had the it was just very royal uh, funeral it's not something that you would give a common criminal and he and he was granted this and was able to lay Jesus to rest like a king would right and that's the importance of, of what's to come, which is Holy Saturday, Easter Vigil. And I just want to, you guys are almost there. If, if, uh, if we're, I don't, I don't think you guys are ever, uh, the RCI guys, uh, you won't be able to have that Holy Saturday, Easter Vigil Mass. Um, they might be contacting you guys and doing it in groups of 10. I haven't heard, but uh, this is a, uh, Kind of sad you don't get to be a part of that night, but we can attend it online and and, and view these things online. Um, and but your your sacrament is to come, and it will be beautiful, and it will be well waited for, you know. Um, and uh, I hope that you are able to watch mass tonight, and I hope you're able to watch mass tomorrow, uh, uh, Holy Saturday, for that. So. All right. Well, I hope that helps you with all the readings today. Um, I pray that God is with you all through this beautiful Easter weekend. Thanks. Bye.